This is the big ponder. Paul Walsh is a freelance writer in Berlin. He's always looking for things to write about. And a really easy way of, of getting published is to, to find an anniversary. Anniversaries or birthdays, Paul says. So one day he was walking in his Berlin neighborhood. He was on his way back from mailing a letter. I thought, I'll take this way home, went down a side street, and that was Lübeckerstrasse. And on the wall there, there was a, a plaque, and it was the birthplace, the, the place where Kurt Tucholsky was, was born. And that name stuck with him, Kurt Tucholsky. A few years later, he noticed Tucholsky's 130th birthday was coming up. And then I kind of fell down this, this rabbit hole, and it was... Some of the rabbit holes when you're writing and researching are, can be really boring, but this one was, was really interesting, and uh, I found it really fascinating to read about his life and what went on in the, in the 20s in Germany. Kurt Tucholsky, who died in 1935, was one of the most influential writers during the Weimar Republic. He came from a Jewish family and was known for his clever poems and searing satire. A recent New York Times article equated his level of fame to the kings of American late-night comedy today. In the West, we, we tend to associate German writers with kind of angst and depression and um, kind of romanticism. But Kurt Tukowski is kind of like, he's not heavy, he can be really light. He can talk about serious issues, but, you know, he can really make you laugh as well. And you could see why he was really popular. That's what Paul Walsh really liked about this famous Berliner, that he was funny. Like this essay from 1929. Die Kunst, falsch zu reisen. Wenn du reisen willst... Verlange alles von der Gegend, in die du reist. Alles. How to travel wrong. When you want to travel, demand everything of the place you go to. Schöne Natur. Natural beauty. Den Komfort der Großstadt. The comforts of a metropolis. Kunstgeschichtliche Altertümer. Old artistic treasures. Billige Preise. Low prices. Meer. Gebirge. The sea, the mountains. Also, vorn die Ostsee und hinten die Leipziger Straße. In other words, the Baltic Sea in front and Fifth Avenue in back. Ist das nicht vorhanden? If all that isn't available, dann schimpfe. Start complaining. Or this. I love this one. Das Englische ist eine einfache, aber schwere Sprache. Es besteht aus lauter Fremdwörtern, die falsch ausgesprochen werden. Which means English is a simple but difficult language. It's made up of all these foreign words that are pronounced incorrectly. Tucholsky was incredibly observant of people, of politics. Another writer at that tumultuous time said Tucholsky was a man who wanted to stop a catastrophe with his typewriter. He was really, really against nationalism. He wrote loads of poems and, and stories about how stupid it was, about the, the kind of arbitrariness of borders and flags and about how people waving flags should be distrusted. He was a soldier in the First World War. Um, he spoke from experience and he said, this is it's crazy, you know, um, the kind of slaughterhouse. He spoke of the German nation as being producers of a human jam at one point. In his essay Heimat, or Homeland, he wrestles with just that, his homeland, and how to love it. He rejects the flag-waving patriotism of people who say Germany above all. He counters that with... We have the right to hate Deutschland because, because we love it. We have the right to hate Germany because we love it. That sentiment is our starting point to explore the love-hate relationship we have with the countries we come from. Is there a right way to love the place you're from? We'll hear from an American writer and Vietnamese refugee. 
I have a whole essay in my head about, yes, I love America, but, and there's so many other things to say. A German writer with Turkish roots. When I am criticizing the German society, I criticize it because I want the German society to improve. A Holocaust survivor and the former president of the Central Council of Jews in Germany, the first woman elected to the position. What I'm talking about is an enlightened patriotism. So patriotism is not mistaken for nationalism. And we'll hear from two German-American couples who have grappled with questions about where they belong throughout their relationships. I'm Monika Müller-Kroll. And I'm Sylvia Cunningham. And RJ and Tanya, can you hear us all right? Yes. Can you hear us? Yes. We start this episode of The Big Um, Ponder in Berlin on a Zoom call with two couples. They are no strangers to questions about identity and where to call home. But before they started pondering complicated questions about their love for America or their love for Germany, they first had another type of love to address. Here's Katja Ritterbusch and Jim Bowser. We fell in love. We did do the transatlantic commute for a while, basically for, you know, four years. Then we got married. You were a combat reporter. I was in combat. <laughs> See, that's a man of few words. That's the executive summary, basically. Yes. <laughs> Who you just heard laughing, that is RJ McGill. He's married to Tanya Maka McGill, and they have an 11-year-old son. RJ is punctual, he likes to clean and tidy the house. Yeah, we've definitely grown into the other culture. Both couples met while in the United States and fell in love there. Both couples weighed up the pros and cons, but in the end, they made opposite decisions. Katya and Jim chose the U.S. and settled down in Atlanta, Georgia. For Tanya and RJ, it was a little more complicated. The two were at a crossroads in 2001. Tanya was working at a museum in Massachusetts and her internship was about to end. And so they had to decide. Do we want to stay in America or do we want to go back to Germany? And my decision had to do a lot with September 11th. (laughs) Yeah, with... um, patriotism again, uh, and I felt very uncomfortable and decided that I wanted to go back to Germany. And then uh, RJ followed. Followed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a different experience if you were not from the United States. I didn't feel like I had to run away from the United States. That's for sure. But I completely understood Tanya's discomfort with being there and sort of there was, you know, palpable hostility to foreigners which you, you know, which you yeah, so And also maybe, I mean, not just that, also maybe that was a point where I, I felt that I wanted to be home. I mean, because yeah. I was afraid. A reaction that one has and so like, oh my God, I have to go home to mommy. <laughs> <laughs> and how was it for you, Katya? I mean, it was a difficult time. We, you know, I remember 9-11 too. Now I didn't live there at that time, but you know, we had some experiences. Remember one time when we were told, oh, we hate Europeans by people we considered friends in America. And quite frankly, the same thing when I moved to the US, you know, of friends that I had in Germany who said how, and that was more during the Iraq war, you know, 2005 is when I actually moved. How can you move there? All those baby killers in America. I mean, we had some nasty experience with people we considered friends on both sides. You know, I spent 20 years in the military and there's very few places on this planet I haven't been. And as an American, you're either loved or hated. There's very little room in between, it seems. 
I've been in technically hostile countries and met wonderful people. I've been in technically friendly countries and met real, you know, knuckleheads, uh, doomkoffs, you know, uh, it, it doesn't matter. You know, if you can't differentiate between the people and the governments, then I think you're, you're not going to experience, you know, really getting to know people in different places and different cultures. Like I said, I've been there, seen that, done it. It's not going to hurt our relationship or anything like that. You know, you can't change some people's minds. So Katya and Arce, you're both in your partner's countries. Do you identify now with one country more over the other or, or both or neither? I think just being away from the country where you are born and where you were raised and where you spend a good chunk of your life, I think makes you generally speaking become more conscious about your identity and you kind of ask yourself these questions. I would say today when we talk about things like patriotism and pride, you know, am I proud of being German, American, European, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with these type of terms, pride and patriotism, in part because I'm German and the term is so tainted because of German history, but also because it just never really was something that worked for me. You know, for me, pride has to do with a sense of accomplishment. You know, it's not my accomplishment that I'm German. I feel tremendously lucky and grateful to be born in a country and at a time that has been prosperous and peaceful, you know, and free, you know, being from West Germany, that's an aspect too. But if there is something like sort of an emotional attachment today to a country or some sort of emotional identity that I feel or sense of belonging, then I would say it's more America today. That's really my home. And simply because I really work towards getting there. When I was finally sworn in to become an American citizen, that was in, in 2010, I have to say there was a sense of pride involved with that, just because that was a little bit of an accomplishment. It was a conscious decision to be there. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy going back to Germany. I mean, I, I love to see people. I love to see friends, family. You know, it's all the memories kind of involved with, you know, being German, you know, the taste, the smells, the sounds, you know, everything that has to do with life and childhood there. I love to visit Germany, but after two weeks, I'm, I'm kind of ready to go home. So that's so interesting. I feel similarly, Katja, that when I'm back in the States, also two weeks to three weeks after that, I'm definitely ready to head back to Germany. I feel 100% at home here. Um, and that, you know, and that's been true for about a decade. But prior to that, there were definitely years of like, oh, it's still a little strange. And I thought that the benchmark was when you get all the jokes and you get all the subtle humor, you're in. Are you a German citizen now? I'm not. We have friends that have, you know, Amer I have American friends that have actually done the citizenship test that have kept both. I have to look into it further. I will do a German citizenship test if I can keep my American citizenship, but I will never give it up. That's the thing. The only thing is I can't vote. That's pretty annoying. That's true. So yeah. uh, do you have your German? Uh... Yes, I have both citizenships. Yeah, I have both. And I, I wouldn't, same thing, same thing as, uh, as RJ. I wouldn't have given up my German citizenship to identities, to hats, to everything. So, But I'm curious about that because RJ, it's possible that you and Tanya might live in Germany for the rest of your lives. And if it would make your life easier to get the German citizenship, why wouldn't you consider giving up your American citizenship to do that? It really is the core identity question. I will never be German and I never want to be German. 
I am an American. I feel American. I feel more American having been in Germany than I ever did in the United States. I'm proud of, you know, lots of things uh, that are American, embarrassed by a whole bunch of other stuff. But holding on to that key identity, that is, that's not give upable for me. That's, that is at the base. And it's, it's probably emotional, ultimately. You know, you, it's emotional and psychological. And um, yeah. Would everyone here be comfortable saying the sentence just flat out, I love Germany or I love the United States of America? Or do you think it comes with a little bit of a caveat or is it more complicated than just saying it straight out? That's an interesting question. Who's going to go first? All right. I can say um, I love the United States of America and it's mostly based on a set of values and actions that happened after the Second World War to create an incredibly peaceful and prosperous world. And I like a lot of American traits, spontaneity, creative thinking, not taking the road fully traveled. I think there's a lot of uniqueness to American thought and a lot of confidence in American thought. I think that I would say it in English. I think I would say, I love Germany. <laughs> but I think I wouldn't say it in German. I wouldn't say, ich liebe Deutschland. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, yeah, that, that sounds strange to me. So in Germany, uh, ich liebe, it's more like, ich liebe mein Mann. Oder, so, and, and ich liebe Deutschland, that is too much for me. Okay, so, so what if you said it in English, what would you say about it? I, I would say in English. I would say, I love Germany because... Uh, there's a lot of culture that I like, and I like uh, the slowness and the coming together of people. There are also a lot of things that annoy me to death, uh, but, <laughs> but that is uh, too much to say now. <laughs> yeah. I, I can say I love America, warts and all. I echo both of your thoughts uh, that you just shared, opportunity, optimism, the potential for unlimitedness, the way we bond together and, you know, can go forth on a project and, you know, accomplish things. But I also think there's a lot of great places out there, um, great ideas they have, and certainly things that we could adopt here and make better. And uh, I hope that we do, and we're open-minded enough to see that and maybe take some of these great things, because what made this country so great was a lot of different people coming together with a lot of different thoughts, working together for a common goal or solution. Well, I would say I can very much echo your thoughts, Tanya. It's a little difficult to say in German, ich liebe Deutschland. It just doesn't sound right. But I can say there is a lot of aspects of Germany that I love and that I miss. And about America, which is really my other country. And for me, very personally, as a writer, as a journalist, is a country that is so full of you know, stories, stories of American people, of American life and the diversity of American life. And it's sad stories and happy stories and weird stories and, you know, complicated stories that, you know, I want to tell a lot of them. And that is sort of the opportunity for me very, very personally that America provides. And I'm very grateful for that. Now, Another perspective from another generation. <laughs> this is Charlotte Knobloch, the former president of the Central Council of Jews in Germany. She says there are many things to love about this country. Zum Beispiel die klassische Tugenden wie Pünktlichkeit, wie Disziplin, wie Gründlichkeit. 
There are the classic virtues such as punctuality, discipline, rigor, and, in recent decades, a kind of openness. This is the way the world perceives Germany. It's how Germany presents itself. But of course, it wasn't always this way. Charlotte Knobloch lived through the Holocaust. She survived those years of persecution hidden on a farm in Bavaria. Today, she still lives in Germany. She says she's proud of how far the country has come. It took a long time. Germany had to reap the consequences of what it sowed after those years of destruction, of extermination. It took many decades to get here, to the Germany we know today. She wants people to recognize that growth and engage with it. She says there should be a new type of patriotism, what she calls an enlightened patriotism. I'm all for seeing children as early as kindergarten walking around with the flags of their homeland. I want them to know they have a place to call home. I don't want them to doubt that they have a future here. In the past, when children learned of the Holocaust in school, they were also burdened with the guilt of it. But that was a mistake, because they weren't responsible for what happened. But they are responsible for making sure it never happens again. And the way she shows her pride in Germany? With everything that happened to her and her family, she's still here. When we were young or when we were born, we were foreigners, so Ausländer. Chidem Toprak is a journalist and author. She was born in Germany in 1987. Chidem has Turkish roots, and most of her work deals with questions about identity. This was the term of us. We called ourselves as Ausländer, and it was very official that we do not belong to that society. In her 2020 book, Das ist auch unser Land, or This is our country too, she interviewed people from her community, as she calls it. Germans with a Migrationshintergrund. More than a quarter of the German population has a so-called migration background, meaning their forefathers were born somewhere else. Chidem, for your book you talked to rappers, entrepreneurs, athletes. What did they tell you? Is Germany their country? My interview partners uh, talked a lot about exclusion, about discrimination, prejudices and racism. But when I asked them, do you believe that uh, you have opportunities in Germany? Really, almost all of them, just one exception, said yes. And this yes was very uh, self-confident and also very in a positive way. And they said, yes, you have opportunities in Germany. But as you write, it wasn't always like that. When you were a kid, did you long for somewhere else? As a teenager, we really identified ourselves with the black community, especially in New York. We loved, the, of course, the music, so we got to know the U.S. culture by the pop culture, so the hip-hop music, also TV, soap operas. I felt very close to certain social dynamics. For example, it was very normal in um, American uh, teenage soaps that young 
young girls have troubles with their fathers because they want to have a date or they want to go to a party. So we know that problem. So the problem's very similar to our problems while we were teenagers. And this was something that maybe also German uh, teenagers had faced, but we um, didn't know anything about that. And how do you feel about Germany nowadays? Do you call Germany your home? Of course, like Germany is definitely my home. I figured out that patriotism is not a bad thing. We should embrace patriotism, but always in a very critical way. So the question is for me not only what does my country for me or what I can do for my country, but how does my country treat people who do not belong to that country? So um, how do my country treat uh, their neighbors, neighbor countries? How do they treat uh, immigrants who want to be part of the country? So this is something that I ask myself. I want to come back to a quote we heard earlier from Weimar Republic writer Kurt Tucholsky, where he says, we have the right to hate Germany because we love it. Does this still hold some truth today? Can you identify with this? I can say I can identify myself with this quote. So the more we hate, and I believe in that because I, when I was young, I also hated Germany or not Germany, but uh, German society. I can say that. And I know that in my, in the bottom of my heart, it was the love and maybe the sadness of not being accepted as part of this country. But I think a lot of young people with migration background, they're not aware of their love. I love America. That's why I have to tell the truth about it. That's the title of a 2018 Time magazine essay by Viet Thanh Nguyen. Viet is a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and a professor at the University of Southern California. His family fled from Vietnam when he was four years old. Too often, I think, when we are asked to say, I love America, or it's demanded of us, or people like me, people don't want the complications. They don't want the history. They just want a straight up, you know, do you or don't you love this country? And if you don't love this country, or if you cannot say this unambivalently, you should leave. You know, so there's all these these connotations with this phrase that needs to be unpacked. That's why I always have to say it with hesitation, because I have a whole essay in my head about, yes, I love America, but... And there's so many other things to say. So what comes before the but? When you're thinking, I love America, what are the reasons that come to mind that you do? Well, I think the first reason is that America is a, a mythological term. I mean, it's it's a term that symbolizes so many things to different people. But one of the things that it symbolizes is, on the one hand, liberty and freedom for, for those who unabashedly will say this. And on the other hand, it symbolizes conquest and erasure for those who would be ambivalent or, or hesitant or refuse to say it. And I think, like with many other things, America is contradictory. It's not one thing or the other. And a lot of people would just want to say, well, either America's all good or America's all bad. And as someone who has benefited from many of the wonderful things uh, from the United States of America, I can say I, I do love America because it's given me certain opportunities and pleasures and all of this. But I also recognize for me that the United States of America is a country built on slavery, genocide, conquest, colonization. These are facts. You know, it's, I don't see how these are not facts. People who refuse to even acknowledge these facts completely misunderstand what this country is. 
But when you're visualizing what you actually love, what are the aspects that come to mind? I mean, is it the people? Is it a spirit? Is it a landscape? I mean, theoretically, when I say America, I could think, yes, you know, blue sky Montana or the prairies or things like this. But in reality, the America that I love is the America of California and the America of pop culture. And what this means is that this for me is the, the America of diversity and of multiculturalism, things that I take for granted because I grew up in California and this is a part of the fabric of life. This is, to me, the greatest thing about America that I love is the reality and the potential for diverse peoples of various many, many kinds of backgrounds to, to live together and to forge a country in a future beyond a norm of of whiteness or, or white supremacy or, or white privilege. And then associated with that, you know, there's that notion of freedom. I can take it for granted that I can say these things to you and that I can write what I want to write and I'm not going to risk being sent to prison, at least not right now. If I was in Vietnam, that would not be the case. I could not say these things about Vietnam, the equivalent things about Vietnam, and not risk being punished. And that's a reality that I think anybody would need to acknowledge. So those are the things that I love the most about this country. I don't know what other people's relationship to love is, but love can be complicated, love can be tough, right? And so, uh, unless we have some pie-in-the-sky ideals of both our country and love, we have to acknowledge that oftentimes love involves hard conversations, struggle, difficult emotions, conflicts. These are all part of love. And I think that part of the nature of being engaged politically and patriotically in this country includes struggling over what we mean by love of country. And so there are these unidimensional definitions of love, as in love it or leave it. And then there are these other more revolutionary notions of love. And I'm increasingly coming around to this idea that we need to put more adjectives in front of love. Revolutionary love that would involve trying to change this country in difficult ways to make it actually come closer to the ideals that so many people profess to believe in. Your country changes and um, your identity changes. Let's return to where we started. Here again is Paul Walsh, the writer in Berlin who discovered Weimar Republic writer Kurt Tucholsky a few years back. And, you know, I'm not sure whether I would place my identity within like a national framework. I mean, you have to find new ways of thinking about your identity rather than just the place where you were born or something. And I think a lot of people are in the same position as me, like thinking about what is my identity? Where do I come from? And what is really important to me? There's one essay in particular that stayed with Paul ever since he wrote that piece marking Tucholsky's 130th birthday. It's called There is no virgin snow. Paul reads us an excerpt. There is no virgin snow. If you climb upward and look around, breathing deeply and thinking what a fine fellow you are to have scaled such heights, you alone, then you always discover footprints in the snow. Someone has been there before you. Have faith in God. Despair of him. Reject all philosophy. Let the doctor tell you that you have stomach cancer and that it'll be all over in four years. Believe in a woman. Despair of her. Carry on with two women. In this episode of The Big Ponder, you heard interviews with R.J. McGill, Tanya Maka McGill, Katja Ridderbusch, Jim Bowser, Charlotte Knobloch, Chidem Toprak, Viet Tan Nguyen, and Paul Walsh. You also heard excerpts from Kurt Tucholsky's book of essays, Germany, Germany, translated into English by Harry Zahn, and from Sprache ist eine Waffe, or Language is a Weapon. 
The music was composed and performed by Jonathan Kroll. In Berlin, I'm Sylvia Cunningham. And I'm Monika Müller-Kroll. All these experiences someone has had before you. This is the way someone believed, doubted, laughed, cried, and pensively picked his nose. Just the same way. Someone has always been there. That makes no difference, I know. You're experiencing it for the first time. For you, it is virgin snow that lies there. You've been listening to The Big Ponder. This transatlantic podcast is brought to you by the Goethe Institute in collaboration with the Bertelsmann Foundation and Rundfunk Berlin-Brandenburg. Thanks to all our friends on both sides of the Big Pond that make this series possible. <laughs>